William Jose clips him and falls down like he got shot by the dude that shot John F. Kennedy. That is unbelievable the way that dude fell down. Okay, you know what? Maybe I saw the slow motion. It was a clip. I've seen it wrong. Okay, he falls down. That's a penalty. Sure. Give him a pen. You know, that's fine with me because, again, laws of the game say if a guy's touched in the box, yada, 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 penalty, sure. But what on earth is there a red card for that? On today's footy corner, Manchester City have the league in the bag as Liverpool inexplicably dropped six points at home in a week. Nines are wild as Arsenal finish a match with nine men, while nine-man Southampton ships nine goals. Chelsea are back. Lay success lately is an aberration, and Carlo's ready to give the Toffees a late push, but after he's done blowing on his tee. Along with the typical comments, predictions, nonce of the week, and gambling corner, next. And we are back on the footy corner. Well, it took 73 episodes, and for the first time ever, I'll be going solo. You'll notice I didn't ask how things are going. No one no one here today, and, you know, of course, there are those activities that, that you'll do, and generally, it's, it's better to do with a partner, and uh, every once in a while, you don't have the partner around, so you got to, and the fix is in, you know, the time to get your fixes in, and, well, you got to take matters into your own hands. So here we are today. Uh, hopefully, the listeners will enjoy it and won't mind a little kind of overview of what's been going on and, and, and you'll hear my perspective. I think a lot of times I ask questions to the, the co-hosts and, and sometimes you may not hear my take on something. So I guess this will be the time to let it rip. Uh, generally, I'll ask the co-host, how's everything going? Well, on this end, <laughs> I guess I'm my own co-host. Uh, things are normal, I guess, for, for the times. Just sitting, recording classes every once in a while. So this recording thing is nothing new. Uh, and honestly, I kind of only get out on Fridays and, and maybe weekends, which I guess is conducive in Chicago lately. It's been snowing hard uh, and, and crazily, so getting out is, is bad. Uh, but I usually go to my office every Friday because I don't teach classes those days. Uh, aside from that, uh, maybe the grocery store here or there. Uh, Going to get the second vaccine on Friday, next Friday, not, not uh, tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Uh, so yeah, that's really what's been going on here. Still watching the sports, getting ready for March Madness on the uh, basketball side of things. And on the soccer side of things, oh, you know, I've been trying to avoid talking about Arsenal, but we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but we might as well just jump right in, jump right into the soccer. Uh, let's go straight to probably what was the biggest match, the most anticipated match of the week, Manchester City and Liverpool at Anfield, obviously not the same with no crowd. We, we know that. We agree with that. But you're still expecting some sort of intensity. And the match actually, I'd say, didn't disappoint for quite a while. Uh, unfortunately for Liverpool fans, unfortunately for Jeff Paris, Manchester City sort of ran away with it in the 71st minute. And yes, that was the time that the goal was disallowed for John Stones. But Man City was really starting to get their, their feet wet and getting things going, and they ended up scoring three goals in ten minutes right after uh, with Goodigan, Sterling, and Foden. After the match was tied 1-1, uh, you really saw them kind of jumping and getting at Liverpool's throats in the second half. Uh, and it's clear. It's clear you have one side that's in form, that's really pushing things, really getting the envelope moving, and another that's really struggling, uh, whether it be with injuries or some side things that are going on. 
uh, form. You know, it's just it's so difficult for a team to keep up some certain pace, a certain form for so long. And I think Liverpool fans can sit back and and say, you know what? It's been a hell of a ride, and it still is. They're still in things. Uh, We'll get to them in a second. I'll start with Man City, I guess. My first question would have been, is the league done and dusted? Can anyone catch Manchester City in the run of form that they're in? And I'm going to argue no. I, I I don't think anyone can catch them. They've won 15 in a row across both competitions. Uh, Pep Guardiola has them playing well, and they've done this all without Kevin De Bruyne in the last few weeks. You haven't had Sergio Aguero all season. You've almost not had a forward all season. So so I guess I'm going to turn the question around to listeners, and again, you could reach us at the footy corner too, and ask you, you know, Pep, Pep Guardiola, people have called him a fraud, and yes, he's given, he has given really good teams. And again, this Manchester City team is no slouch. He has been given a good side, a deep side. But if I told you this lineup, maybe two, three years ago, uh, would you think a lineup of Ederson at goalie, in the back line you have Zinchenko, Diaz, Stones, and Cancelo, in the midfield you have Gundogan, Rodri, and Bernardo Silva, and you have Foden, Sterling, and Mahrez up front, is that a team to you that runs away with everything? Or at some point do we have to say some of these guys were developed a little more by Pep Guardiola, and that he is really imprinting his ways into this side. You know, I, I've always been in the camp that he's a good manager, but he's gotten a lot of breaks with good players that worked out. But I think the job he's done this season really garners us to look into how good of a manager he really has been lately, and and that maybe he is not a fraud. So again, I'd like to hear your thoughts at the footy corner too on him. The other thing I want to note is it is incredible, and, and it kind of goes along with with maybe Gordiel or whoever's managing Ilkay Gundogan's uh, nutrition, whatever's going on, whoever's given him some sort of a youth potion that's made him play even better than he did at, at Dortmund. Um, you know, I have no idea what's going on there because that guy, you know, I crapped on him last year, and we've mentioned in previous episodes, but again, this match, he had two goals. Uh, he had one uh, penalty missed that he sent to the moon, so that, so he literally took to the moon uh, in hand, in, in, in his kind of heart and, and took homage to that. He had an assist against Burnley earlier in the week. Let's not forget that we had a two-week match week. So Ilkay Gunnigan, I think his form has been crazy. Again, they've been doing this all without a forward, but I, Jesus has come back lately and, and really contributed uh, to Manchester City's cause. Uh, had an assist in the game against um, Liverpool as he came on later in the game. But it's just crazy how you look at the players, you look at the side, and you might say, well, this might be one of... Pep Guardiola's best seasons and, and best runs. And, and, you know, every team had their downs. And I think they're starting to figure it out. And I don't think anyone's catching them. So so there's the key, I think, with them. And, again, another key to look at is that this is a team that just does not concede goals. They don't give up goals. They've played 22 matches and given up 14 goals, which is absolutely incredible. It's insane. Uh, they are, I believe, the only team... No, I can confirm they're the only team that has given up less than one goal a game. Okay, and again, I named some of those guys, and you might say, well, those guys are good. That lineup I named, though, again, think three years back. Would you have recognized that team? Would that be a team that you think would would win the league? So that's something I implore you to think about. Now, Liverpool on the other side of things, where do they go from here? You know, what do you do? You have, you have two disappointing losses at home. Again, I know it's not the same, you know, same as having fans. But you did have the night's sleep at your your place 
or a locale near you. And I think that lately, just things haven't been good enough. You know, Man City, understandable. You lose to a team that's high. You lost to Brighton, though, in the middle of the week. Uh, and Brighton, yeah, they've <laughs> they've beaten Tottenham. They've, they've won this game. But it's still a team that if you were on a record-setting pace last season and you want to go for the title this season, you have to beat them. And, of course, this performance wasn't good enough. And it makes me wonder at what point, and I know the Man City match was maybe too early, and maybe a difficult time to either bring in Davies or Kabak, but one of these guys that Liverpool has picked up has to come in the side. You can't continue to go with Henderson and Fabinho because I think one of those guys needs to move up. In in some of those matches, their midfield was run a little a little ragged, and I, I feel like especially if you move, I think Jordan Henderson's the first guy you move up. If you move him up there, you don't have as big of problems. Remember, this team struggled last year. Even though they were really good, they struggled without Jordan Henderson. In the midfield. He's not been in the midfield. He's been in defense lately. So I think that's something that has to go there. Uh, Trent, his, his, his form's improved a little bit. He, he has his slump, but everyone goes through that. And so this team needs to figure things out. Um, they, they've been kind of, as I said, struggling a lot on these ends. And and a few of our comments on, on our uh, Twitter uh, go along those, those lines. Um, Nikhil tweeted something from Men in Blazers. Klopp's heavy metal football has hit its Limp Biscuit era. Yeah, I mean, teams are going to go through, you know, periods and spells. And actually, generally that'll happen over a course of years. But we've seen that a lot just this year. Just look at all the teams this year. Even Man City at the beginning of the season, we thought, hmm, they're not the same. And then they go on a 15-win run. You had Manchester United. Ole was out. Ole had memes of him crashing vehicles, crashing cars. Ole's behind the wheel drunk. And Man United are now in the top four. Chelsea. They had to fire a manager. There was a casualty, but here they come surging here with 13 points in their, or sorry, uh, 10 points in their last four fixtures. Okay, so teams that have gone down a little bit, and Arsenal had that happen, and they went on a little run before this little hiccup that we're, we'll talk about later. But all teams go through it, and it's crazy we've seen so many this season, uh, within a season. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like this team, if they regroup and they get fans back next season, I don't think we'll see something too far off of what we've seen in the past. And hopefully we will one of these years get a close title race. It's It's been a minute since we've had a close title race. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Jeff had a comment on Firmino. Actually, it was one of these memes. You know, the the, the, whis- the guy whispering to the girl at a club meme. And he says, I know Firmino doesn't get goals or assists, but it's the little things that make him special. I'm not exactly sure what those things are. And it's all really confusing, but I'm sure it's all fantastic. One day Klopp will explain it all, explain it to us what Firmino actually does, and then we will see. We will all see. I hope. And I know a few Liverpool fans that have uh, they were a little upset with him before, but again, they've kind of gotten this understanding of what his role is. Is when you have wingers that come in and cut in and are your goal scorers, you need a, a number nine that's going to hold things up really well. Can has good skill on the ball. Maybe doesn't have the best pace, and then can finish every once in a while here, or there. Now that that hasn't really worked out for him lately in terms of the finishing part, but I feel like he does a lot of little things up up top and holding the ball up, and it, it's gone a little downhill. And again, if that part goes downhill for a striker, you you hope you have that goal scoring touch still. And you know, for someone that's struggling on what he's strong at, and and he's not able to still get those goals, yeah, of course he's going to go through a bump. And I know a lot of Liverpool fans 
that uh, that would look to a different solution. So I, I ask you guys if you can let let us know at the footy corner, let the intern know who's still sitting on the Bielsa bucket. The intern will never get the co-host duties. So the intern will sit here on the bucket. I would rather do a show solo than have the intern uh, step up here. But but again, I want to know, Liverpool fans, what do you think of Firmino and, and what route would you go? You know, what, what options are out there? A lot of people say, oh, yeah, get rid of this guy, do this. But they don't think of what is viable, you know, feasible. You know what you're able to get out there in the in the transfer market, and how much it'll cost, and at what cost. You know, when when you have to maybe upgrade at other positions. So Firmino, we have to seize the very interesting case going on uh, there. I do want to say real quick before we move on, uh, sad news regarding Jurgen Klopp's mom, Elizabeth Klopp. Uh, passed away recently, and there's you know news came out yesterday. It happened earlier, but news came out yesterday. He could he can't travel to Germany, uh, and that's just um, you know that goes along with how difficult these times are and how uh, crazy these times are, and, and it's very unfortunate. It's it's a sad thing really um, in that regard. And also on the Man City side of things, uh, they've paid tribute to a lifelong fan and club's oldest mascot, Vera Cohen, who has passed away at the age of 104. She was a season ticket holder for almost 90 years. So uh, our hearts go out to both uh, Elizabeth Klopp and Vera Cohen and relatives and family of them. Uh, Jeff Paris, thank you for the share on Vera Cohen's passing. Uh, So really, with Liverpool, the last thing I want to say is they're fighting here now for top four. The the title's done. You know, I I don't care. I'm a very optimistic guy usually, but I'm going to sit here and say the title's done. They sit on 40 points in fourth place, one point above Chelsea, one point above West Ham, and three behind Leicester for third. And I think, of course, fourth is very doable. And, and, and you know, you can sit there and, and be bleak and say, mm, no, not with what's gone. But I feel like the fixtures they've played, they've played some of their tougher fixtures already in the second round of matches. I think they've gotten Tottenham and Man City out of the way already. Uh, and, and maybe even Man United. So, I, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken there. But they've gotten a lot of their tough fixtures out of the way. They have some center backs that they're going to be able to play, hopefully move some of those midfielders up, and I feel good that this team will still finish in the top four. Um, and obviously that's what you want to do, keep keep alive in Champions League, and you never know, they can make a run in Champions League. You know, the season is definitely not over yet. Let's move on to London. You know, we had a, a big match. Chelsea won, Tottenham nil. Chelsea in a string of some good form. They've now gone unbeaten in four games with Thomas Tuchel in charge. Uh, you know that makes you wonder: was that the right decision? Because obviously they, they've they've responded, and, and someone might be sitting there and say, "What an idiot! What kind of a question is that? Is that the right decision?" Well, this is a team that obviously now has more possession under Tuchel, and and again, my question, my counterpoint would be, or my question would be, is that because of him, or is that because of their opposition? Because you look at the opposition. They've played Wolves and Burnley, who both are sides that really give a lot of possession away and haven't been very good this season. Sheffield United, and then I just mentioned Tottenham now. That was the one, I think, really uh, harder game that they've played to this point. But even in that game, to me, it seemed like they dominated a decent amount. It was a Tottenham without Harry Kane. uh, And and so to me, Tottenham didn't really offer any threat. But I will give Tuchel credit here in that Callum Hudson-Odoi has really, really stepped up lately and I don't know what message he sent to him he's come up Tuchel has given people like Marcos Alonso chances as Brian mentioned last episode and actually 
he did mention, and I and I believe in their FA Cup match, they are, and you, I mean, it's probably already happened by the time you listen, that Keppa will be brought back into the team to, to have a chance. So he he's basically saying everyone has a chance now, um, and, and so that's that's great news for Chelsea getting six points this week. As I said again earlier, they're one point out of a Champions League spot. They're rolling. Uh, a lot of their fans are pretty happy, I, I reckon. So uh, good work on them. Um, you know, I I wish I could really go more in depth with them, but but I guess we I mean we talked a lot about them last episode. Uh, is this team good enough to get top four? I think so. Yeah, they have the talent, and they're they're not terribly far out. They're they're one point from Liverpool, and they're four from Leicester, uh, and even you could say six from Manchester United. So it's all there for the taking. There are 15 games left, and so much has happened that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more shocks on the cards. And again, with the talent they have, this is somewhere they should have been all season. Uh, but of course, you things happen, and here you are now. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure right now the mood in the Chelsea camp and their fans are excited. They're happy. Now, would you have been happy? Would they have been happy if they had a coma before the first match of the season started, jumped out of it now, and looked at the table? I don't know if they would be. I'm not sure. They'd look at this and say, hmm, what's going on? Why are we fifth with all these big signings after you know the season we had last year? But again, you, you kind of have to take the context here, and, and that's a team that is rolling. And, and hey, we've seen it this season all across the board. Once a team gets going, sometimes that momentum can really carry them over the line. Now, a team that has not been rolling is Tottenham. They've been really night and day, and it all depends on if they have Harry Kane. Uh, you know they they won their last match. I, we just mentioned this match against Chelsea that they've lost, and the previous matches before that: Brighton one nothing loss, Liverpool three one loss. All these were matches without Harry Kane, and then they get Harry Kane back against West Brom and they win two nothing. And of course, there was the wild FA Cup match yesterday with Everton. I did not get a, a glance at that, and that's unfortunate with the the schedule I've had. But I heard whew, that was a cracker of a match. But I'll say this, you know, Tottenham, it's interesting. You know, the, you look at the table and you say Tottenham are in eighth, 36 points, but only only four points out of a Champions League spot. But that four points just seems like it's so far because this team relies constantly on Kane and Son to get their goal scoring going. And if those guys aren't don't have their scoring boots on, you can forget about it. I, I do want to give credit to a guy that I, I crapped on when they signed him. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, Hoiberg, uh, Hoiberg is what they say. I'm sorry, I've really chopped it. I say it better a lot, you know, normally, but uh, here I am try- trying to churn out this episode, and he's been great. I mean, he has been an awesome signing in that he stops a lot of the attacks. He gives a lot of players the onus to go attack, and I feel like he relaxes the players around him, and I think he is a big reason in the in that recent success that we have seen from Tangay and Dombele, who was not having success last season, right? He works alongside Hoiberg, and last year a lot of people were crapping on Ndombele, and this season, look at him now. Well, what's the difference? Well, one year he had Harry Winks next to him, and now he has Pierre-Emil Hoiberg next to him, and that guy, I'm telling you, I've seen him, he plays lights out. Now, am I sold on Lucas, Lamella? No, not really. I think Tottenham needs to go out and buy some better players. Gareth Bale's not working, that's clear. And it's a team that needs to do that this summer. Otherwise, they're going to lose Harry Kane. What's the point for Harry Kane to waste his prime years 
on a team that doesn't get anywhere. And you can see it the second he goes down. And as Jeff said it, it happens every year. They're lost. And I do not feel threatened by them. I watch their games, and I even go into it thinking they will lose if they do not have Harry Kane. So that's my take on Tottenham. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, Tottenham. Uh, let's jump to, again, back to the northwest of England. Man United and Everton played in a wild 3-3 draw recently. We saw some some uh, potential errors on, on both ends from the goalies, uh, some defending flaws that were exposed. But in the end, I, I think that people were, were generally happy in an entertaining match that saw uh, Cavani, Bruno, and McTominay score for United. Decore, James, <coughs> uh, Rodriguez, who's back. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin with the last second, scoring in the 95th minute when there are only four minutes of stoppage time left. Uh, of course, because of some subs and a yellow card from Twenzebe, who unfortunately was the recipient of a lot of online abuse, which which really needs to stop. That, that's been actually uh, brought to the attention of a lot of people. And Twitter have, uh, I believe it was Twitter and Instagram, have said they will be looking more into these uh, incidences as they increase. But that said, let's look at United. This was a crazy week for them. Not only was this match crazy, they come off the 9-0 win over Southampton. So I'm looking at this and thinking, all right, do you think of this as a positive week for United? They did get four points. They had a goal differential of plus nine. Or are you a little disappointed as a United fan thinking, we let three, you know, we let two of those points slip against Everton. Should have been three points. There's no excuse, no reason to give up those, you know, a 2-0 lead at halftime. A 3-2 lead in the 90th minute. You know, you can't do that. These are things that winning teams don't do. And then you think about the Southampton game and you say, well, they really railed Southampton then, so look at that. But Southampton had a guy sent off in the second minute. In a completely, (laughs) I don't know what to say. It was a moronic move. It was a massively stupid play by Yankowitz, who was making his debut, picks up red in the second minute, and then the route was on. Uh, you know, it was a. That game was very interesting in that um, there was a lot of controversy due to the refereeing, which we'll cover more of later. Uh, but Jan Bednarik did get sent off uh, late. But let me note that after Jan Bednarik was sent off, United scored three goals in the final six, seven minutes. I mean, they'd already scored six. And so you could sit there and say, well, they're against 10 and nine men. So how impressive is that, especially against a team that lost 9-0 last year also? That's proven, I believe, time and time again, when the cards are stacked against them, they just lay down and die. Their teams, you know, you can sit there and see a team maybe gets a red card in the second minute. And you might say, well, I could excuse them for getting six goals scored on them, but but can you, like, there are times teams have hunkered down and, and just gotten it done and got, given up maybe one or two goals. Six? And so Southampton really comes off as a team to me that can't really take adversity. And it seems like they've had a lot of calls and things go their way. And finally, in this game, it did not happen. And they imploded. So how much of that is Manchester United? How much of that is Southampton? Brian says that uh, he he retweeted an Opta Joe stat that said that during the 9-0 defeat to Manchester United last night, Jan Bednarik became the first player in the Premier League history to be sent off, give away a penalty, and score an own goal in a single match. Brian says, it's like the soccer version of the Gordie Howe hat trick. And I, yeah, I agree with you there. 
<laughs> because he had, I mean, if you were Jan Bednarik, what is the next step? Again, I'll talk about that decision that Howard Dean made on his red card in a little bit, but that's my question on United. You know, essentially coming back to United, how impressive really were, were these four points? How impressive really have they been lately? And are we going to get their answer? Because they are just this team that we, we can't put our fingers on. The transfer of Van de Beek is turning out to have been awful. Uh, so, you know, let's see where they go. They've got West Brom away coming up. So another chance for them to gain some momentum uh, before heading into kind of this stretch run. Playing them, they're playing Newcastle. So they have a couple matches that you think are gimmies before they play Chelsea here at the end of the month. Uh, so a little more on them. I guess later in the month we'll see how, how they're going. But I want to see what you guys think. Man United, if you're, you know, here's the best way to, to measure that. If your team is going into a match against Man United, how do you feel about your team's chances? Let us know at the footy corner too. Now, on the other end of it, Everton has played in some wild, wild matches. You know, uh, they they draw United 3-3 here. They just played Tottenham 5-4 in an FA Cup match. And I know we don't talk about FA Cup matches very often and because that's not what we, what we do here. But they've been a fun team to watch. And there was that little clip of Ancelotti. It's been shared. Uh, I think Jeff... Jeff and Nikhil have shared on different mediums with me uh, of Everton scoring that fifth goal to win and Carlo Ancelotti being more worried about cooling down, I believe, what was hot tea in front of him. Uh, But Everton getting, like I said, this draw against United. They beat Leeds 2-1. My question for for the listeners is, can Everton make this push for top four? You, You know, they're sitting at 37 points in seventh place, just three points off. Liverpool, two games in hand. So, you know, you, the Jeff Paris, you love your games in hand. Here you go. Everton has games on games in hand on everyone. On West Ham, who's in front of them, Chelsea, Liverpool, Leicester, and Man United. Now, if they were to win those two games in hand, they would catch Leicester, who's sitting in third. So, between third place, Leicester, with 43 points, and seventh place, Everton, with 37, you have six points that separate teams for a battle I believe, of third and fourth of Champions League spots. You know, you look a little further into the distance, Aston Villa has 35. They're not far off. Tottenham 36. And I think that's where it cuts off. I don't think other teams really have what we what I'd call a shot at Champions League. So, you know, I really am interested to find out, can Everton get into the top, top four? They've had decent form. I feel like when we've talked about them, though, they they tend to go on losing streaks. So this is my bet. If, if Everton ends up Losing some games, going on a bad run. I apologize in advance to your uh, to the Everton fans out there. Okay, let's now go to a little segment here. I want to call winners and losers of the week. I've covered some of the main matches, uh, six teams that I think were most notable. I kind of talked about there. Note, I did save my own team because we will have a discussion on ref decisions here later. Uh, the winners of the week, and this will be kind of last time we do this in a while, and the reason that I've done this segment is because we've run into weeks that we have multiple matches going on. It's just so tough to try to summarize 20 matches uh, or even a top three, four, five, six. So I just want to, you know, this is my way of giving shout outs to teams that were not mentioned earlier. Now, winners of the week, you know, we mentioned Chelsea. They they did get six out of six points. So that's an obvious winner of the week. But but I'm going to kind of pass up on them and not talk too much more about them. I do have two teams that I think had really important Results. I think Leicester this week picking up four points away 
they did draw Wolves, and I know that's usually a match you want to win. But coming off a win at Fulham, two road, uh, two road matches, four points, they remain in third. That's what was important for them. Again, they're trying to avoid the late-season collapse that they had last year. You think back, Brendan Rodgers learned his lesson, I think, and they've now weathered a period here, or they're, they're attempting to weather a period here without Jamie Vardy. And that's what you have to take into account, that Iannaccio is the guy that's up front. So you say, oh, they only got four points playing Wolves and Fulham. Again, the importance here is that they're without Jamie Vardy, and the longer they can stay in it without him, when he comes back, they will give he will give them a boost, and again, Brennan Rodgers will be looking to avoid what happened last season, where Leicester completely shit the bed and fell apart towards the end of the season. So I'm gonna I want to note them as a winner of the week, and also uh, Brighton. Brighton Hove Albion has been red hot lately. Another four point week. Another team that won those four points away uh, away from home, and I think that's really big. And I want to mention one of them obviously against Liverpool one nil. And the other, a 1-1 draw against Burnley, and you might sit there and say, well, again, not a huge result. But if you look at the table, Brighton were a team that were sitting in 17th a few weeks ago, and people were talking about Fulham emerging. People have been talking about Sheffield United emerging. So the teams that sit in 15th, 16th, and 17th really need to gain points, and Brighton has stepped up to the plate. They're now 10 points safe. I can almost guarantee you the way they've played, the way they're managed by Graham Potter, uh, the way they go about things, they're, they're a team that you kind of fear a little bit when you're going to play them. Not, not in like a bad way, but in a way that things, you know, you, you expect to beat them, but you think, hmm, things can go wrong. They've got that Neil Maupay guy, that, that little rat bastard. Uh, you know, so Brighton is a side, I think, that's going to be safe this year. And they're now in 15th, Newcastle 16th, Burnley 17th. Brighton is a side now that sits two points away from Wolves. So again, that's a team I'd say winners of the week, Leicester and Brighton, because we, you know, again, teams we haven't talked about. Now going to the losers of the week, I think it's easy to pick out teams that got zero points. Liverpool had zero of six home points, so we we talked about them enough at the top of the show. Don't need to really dwell on that too much. Arsenal is a team that got zero out of six points this week, but again, uh, I felt like in the first match. They were kind of robbed. They were, if anyone was watching that match against Wolves, they were running Wolves. I mean, they should. They hit the the first minute of the game. Saka hit a post. I believe in the eighth or ninth minute, he had a goal offside that was called back. Uh, they Pepe worked in a beautiful goal that game, and then one of the worst decisions in the history of Earth was made. And David Luiz, who yes, you know, make fun of Sideshow Bob. Get you know, he gets sent off a lot. I agree. But this was one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. Absolute dog shit from Craig Pawson. And then what made it even worse is he goes to VAR. And VAR still says red card. Anyone that watched that play that thinks that's a red card is deluded and stupid. I'm sorry. You know, you have your opinions. And um, again, if you want to call it a penalty, I'm not calling you stupid for calling it a penalty. You think it's a red card? You're an idiot. Uh, and if you want to sit there and say, well, those are the laws of the game, they need to change the laws of the game then. I thought they had triple jeopardy in there. Again, we'll talk about that in the ref decisions here shortly. You can tell there's going to be a rant, and I'm sure one of these rants is going to lead to the opening segment of the show. That said, 
Uh, Arsenal losing six points, not very good for them. A little uh, subpar showing against um, Aston Villa. No excuses in that match. There was no sending off there. Just a team that couldn't capitalize on all the chances they created for themselves. So Liverpool and Arsenal, zero out of six points. Um, They're the easy teams to pick. Uh, But the main, I think the team that really offended the most, Southampton. Southampton have now lost four games in a row. We talked so highly of them. We said, can they make top four? Are they going to be a Cinderella? No. Forget about Southampton. Southampton is done and dusted. Ralph Hasenhutl needs to worry about his job right now. He just lost 9-0 to United and followed that up with a 3-2 loss to Newcastle, who's been struggling. Prior to that, losses at home to Villa and Arsenal. So this is a team that in the Premier League hasn't won since January 4th. And we sit here today on February 11th. Maybe you're listening to this on February 12th or, or whenever. And Southampton desperately needs a win. They need points. You know, you sit there, you look at the table, and they sit at 29 points. And you'd say, oh, they're, they're pretty safe. But now we're at a point where Brighton is only four points behind them. So sit there and think about that. Southampton, to me, the biggest losers of the week all right let's go to some ref decisions that occurred across the league this is a big topic that i want to discuss briefly and it's not just because it affected arsenal actually i'm going to start off with stuff that occurred in in southampton right uh southampton went down early and i have nothing against the first red card that is a completely correct call that kid was an idiot we, we've established that now you go to the red card that they call on jan bednarik all right, Jan Bednarik is is do, doing his damn best to avoid making contact with Anthony Martial, and Martial does dive. And again, if you want to call that a penalty, I'm not going to have an issue with it because the rule of the game is if the contact is made these days, they're calling a penalty, and even if it's the slightest contact. And you can see that Jan Bednarik was was trying to get out of the way. Now they they say, oh, he got a red card because he wasn't going in on the challenge. Did you want him to slide in from behind and break Anthony Martial's legs? Is that what was is that what was <laughs> what prevented it from being yellow and not red? Because that is ridiculous. And moronic. Now the good news for Southampton is that the appeal for Jan Bednarik's red card uh was won by them, so he he did not miss any matches. But on the other end, now you have Southampton requesting that Mike Dean and Lee Mason don't referee their matches due to the controversial decisions in their back-to-back defeats against Aston Villa and and uh, Manchester United. Really, Southampton? What goddamn world do we live in that these idiots think they can request refs? We don't want this guy to ever ref our game again. Okay, I get it. There was a bad call made. And and you can call for the Premier League to take action. But for you to sit there and say, I don't want this ref as a club. A fan will say that all day, every day. You're going to sit here. I'm going to say for the next year that Craig Poston can eat shit. Okay, he's the guy that made the call against David Luiz, by the way. He sucks. We all have our jokes about Mike Dean. right? We all know a lot of the Premier League refs by now. But for the club itself to come out and request that a ref does not do their matches anymore just fuels the fire. It's almost, and, and it's a wild, wild comparison, but I'm going to compare this to the capital storming. You know, you hear rhetoric from your side, and then things happen. Donald Trump said things that were inciting 
and insurrection and things that are awful happen. Southampton, we don't want Mike Dean to be our ref. Mike Dean has received death threats. Mike Dean requested not to ref any matches this weekend because he doesn't feel safe. He doesn't feel safe for his family. That's terrible. So shame on you, Southampton. Southampton is really one of the biggest nonces this past week. And I felt terrible for them at the time that they had to play with 10 and 9 men. But how they've treated this has been poor. And fans that, that have followed suit and, I mean, gosh, say bad things about the ref. You know, take a shit on him. But to send a death threat, that's ridiculous. And, I, and, and you might say, well, fans are going to make these threats themselves and make these decisions themselves. But I blame, to some extent, not all, Southampton for saying we don't want these refs, for inciting something like that. I want to know your thoughts at the footy corner, too, on this whole incident with uh, Mike Dean and, and Lee Mason. It's, uh, it's been very interesting. Uh, now, another, another interesting um, decision that was made. As many of you have seen, it was in the in the Arsenal match that I mentioned a little earlier with David Luiz and William Jose. And first of all, fuck all the Williams. They're, I'm done with all of them. They can all eat shit. Because this man clips David Luiz's knee. I mean, if you it's the slightest touch on his back run. He clips Luiz's knee. Luiz does not cause any contact. He does not, I should say not cause it. He doesn't create the contact. He's running. He's a guy that shouldn't have gotten beat. Should never have been in that position. And I'll give you that. But <sighs> William Jose clips him and falls down like he got shot by the dude that shot John F. Kennedy. That is unbelievable the way that dude fell down. Okay, you know what? Maybe I saw the slow motion. It was a clip. I've seen it wrong. Okay, he falls down. That's a penalty. Sure. Give him a pen. You know, that's fine with me because... Again, laws of the game say if a guy's touched in the box, yada, 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 penalty, sure. But what on earth is there a red card for that? Why? What's going on there? You know, I, I don't understand the red card. You know, one of the rules in the Premier League say that the previous triple punishment rule means that a player who denied a goal-scoring opportunity was automatically red carded and handed a suspension as well as giving away a penalty. That's how it used to be. However, the law has now changed so that players committing accidental fouls, which I would definitely classify this as that, that deny a goal-scoring opportunity are not automatically sent off, but are cautioned instead. So to me, the right call there is you give them the penalty, as soft as that was. We've seen it called all year this year. I can't deny it. Arsenal has won a soft penalty or two here. Tyranny won one against Chelsea. Mo Salah won a soft penalty against Man City this weekend. Uh, Martial was given one against Bednarik. My issue isn't these penalties. It's the red cards. Because that ruined the flow of the game. Arsenal was playing the best soccer they've been playing all season. And, yeah, give Wolves a late goal in the first half. Did Ars- Would Arsenal have deserved to be 1-1 at halftime? Absolutely not. But that would have been the consequence. And you would have still felt good about their chances in the second half as an Arsenal fan. But they didn't have that chance. They were down to 10 men. And because of that... Uh, of course, you can sit there and say, well, a team can still defend or can still score. I don't know if you saw the ridiculous goal that was scored against them by Moutinho from like 10, 35 yards. That's one that was a, an amazing strike, and I can't blame I mean, it took that to beat a, a 10-man team and later even a 9-man team that almost equalized. Um, 
but, but that being put aside, my issues with these red cards, you know, you're really ruining a game by throwing these red cards out there in situations that are not dangerous. They're not dangerous. So why the point of a red card is to rid someone of a dangerous situation or yes, there's a breakaway guy tugs on a shirt and pulls him down. For instance, go look at the Arsenal highlights. I hate to do this again against Aston Villa. Bakayo Saka was going to be gone. And by the rules of the game and what was called in the match before, he's taken down and they don't give a red card. They give a yellow card. How on earth are you going to call a yellow card but not give a red card for that one where the man had a clear opportunity on goal? When earlier in the week you had refs. So the consistency is just all over the place. It's been really shit. And I agree that the refs are, are, are not doing it well. But maybe some of the laws are not clear. Maybe some of the laws are not clear, and the reason I say that is because uh, you have different refs commenting differently on each of those calls. Mark Clattenburg said that that was not a penalty. Okay, Mark Clattenburg looked at it and said it wasn't a penalty. And then the head of refereeing, whoever that nonce is, said it is. So even within their field, they have no goddamn idea what they want to call. So that's my little rant on that. Uh, Steve did bring up actually a mention of it, and it was a sarcastic, obvious mention, uh, I, I believe. And you know what? We I'll have the intern retweet the clip. For those of you that don't know what I've been going on about here for a few minutes, uh, I'll have the intern retweet the clip where it occurs, and you can see just how ridiculous uh, it was. So Steve mentions... <clears throat> when it came up, um, and, and of course I'm here, I am scrolling through trying to figure out where where it was. Here we go. It was a Men in Blazers showing the replay. Men in Blazers quoting could have killed him. <laughs> That's the joke on William Jose falling like a nonce. Steve, just a dangerous ass play. Louis should be thrown out of the league for this. Um, yeah, I mean it's unbelievable some of the things that you'll see. Uh, an interesting note: Arsenal never said that they don't want Craig Pawson not refing their games again, but they have lost the last four games that he's been in charge. So again, there's an example of a club not being idiotic and throwing, you know, uh, a ref under a bus. Mark Halsey, I have a quote from Mark Halsey. He was a Premier League ref from 1999 to 2013. Okay, and here's what he had to say. I've been in that situation when I've seen an incident and been told to say I haven't seen it. To be fair to the FA, it's not them. It comes from within the PGMOL, Professional Game Match Officials Limited. It doesn't stop there. We've been told to give a certain amount of corners or throw-ins, fouls, bookings, etc. The Premier League is rife with spot-fixing and bias towards certain clubs from the FA. Every referee in the Premier League could be in front of a court one day soon. Now, he's since denied that. He's an interesting character that doesn't have... uh, (laughs) has a few character flaws, I should say. So, you know, again, I hate talking about refing so much, but when it's been so prevalent this week, I have to bring it up. And, and for me, it affected my sight, so I wanted to mention that. But every team, I believe, has had a gripe at some point this season. And I just think it's it's egregious. It's ridiculous. These red cards, they need to fix this. No one likes watching 10 on 11 unless you're the team that has 11. All other 19 fans are bored out of their mind. That match loses its lust, especially when it's between good teams. So that's my little take on referees, okay? Uh, again, if you have anything at the footy corner, too, let us know. Let's go to some comments, some some segments here. 
very brief kind of interesting musings that have been going on, especially lately. Uh, finally, the time is here. The time has come. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, we've, we've heard the story. We've mentioned it on this podcast before um, that they were going to take over Wrexham. It was all bound to take place. And, well, now it has officially happened. February 10th was the day that they took 100% control of the club and made an immediate investment of $2 million in the Welsh side, Wrexham AFC. Very uh, interesting to say that both actors insist funds will be available to strengthen the first team who are currently 7th in England's 5th tier. So my question to all of you, and I'll have the intern tweet about uh, this later, um, about Wrexham, will be in 5 years. In 5 years, currently they're in the 5th division, where do you see Wrexham? Can they get up to possibly the 3rd division if you see good investment in the side? Uh, Again, a statement from the Deadpool star Reynolds and It's Always Sunny creator McElhenney read, It is a special day for the two of us to become the latest stewards in the long and storied history of Wrexham AFC. Together with the players, the staff, the fans, and local community, we can now pursue our goal to grow the team and return it to the EFL in front of increased attendances and in an improved stadium while making a positive difference to the wider community in Wrexham. Uh, so they're really excited to get things going. I think the Wrexham fans are also excited. It, fans always have this sense of hope uh, when maybe things haven't been going great or when a new sense of ownership arrives and, and comes in. Uh, so there's that. Another little interesting tidbit I, I came across, and I'm interested to hear the listeners' uh, views on our Neymar. And, I, yeah, they're the jokes that go around that Neymar nonsense his sister Um you know, obviously, he always takes off on her birthday, but this doesn't necessarily deal with that. It deals with an interview, an exclusive recently that was done, in which Neymar uh, said that he will be signing a new contract at PSG soon, so we can expect him to make that move. He's on the verge of signing a new four-year deal in the French capital. Every year it comes up. Is Neymar going to go back to Barcelona? Is Neymar going to go elsewhere? Well, it's looking like uh, a return to Barcelona is dead. And to him, to him, the Premier League does not appeal. He claims there's enough physicality in Ligue 1, uh, the French First League, and that he has no desire to go to the Premier League. He says he likes London as a city, but I, you know, doesn't see himself going there. Is he, like another Brazilian in the past, Hulk? Now, obviously, Neymar has more skill than Hulk, but is he robbing himself... Not money-wise, but the chance to prove himself at the top, at one of the top levels. I'm not doubting his ability as a player. I'm not doubting his ability as a star. He's one of the greatest superstars in our current time. He's definitely in the top uh, 10, if not the top 5. But (sighs) Kylian Mbappe, you can see, coming to the Premier League. He's young still. Neymar is, he's about to turn 29. And I think that if he never plays in the Premier League or if he waits until he's really old, a lot of people are going to wonder what could have been. And you're going to wonder what his skill level was. And you might say, well, what about Messi? He never came to the Premier League either. But that's another guy. You sit there and wonder what could have been. You know, but he's done it all in one club. He's proven himself. And it's one of those situations that that's I just brought Messi up and it completely killed my argument. But Messi's, you know, he's arguably, with Ronaldo, the best in the world. I think Neymar can really 
shut a lot of his critics up that sit there and say he's not as good as them. He rolls around too much uh, in terms of faking injuries. Uh, and so he has a really as a persona that people perceive him as soft. And I do too. And, I, and I'm wondering, you know, can Neymar, if he, if he joined the Premier League, would he help his own cause? So I wonder to the listeners, let me know what you think about that. I think he's a, he's, a, he's a wimp. And I think he's avoiding playing in the best league in the world. He sits there comfortably at PSG, kicking the shit out of a bunch of French farmers. That's my take on that. Uh, so that said, um, we don't have too many other uh, comments, really. We kind of went through most of them. Uh, so a shout-out to uh, Jeff, Nikhil, Steve, Brian again for sending us some of these great comments out there um, that exist. Uh, so going to the Mount Rushmore, um, <laughs> Nikhil beating Jeff in uh, the Mount Rushmore of Canada. They kind of went back and forth at each other. Nikhil says, can't believe I dominated a Canadian here. Jeff then says this result is suspect. Way too many votes. I think there was vote harvesting going on. You got all your family, friends, and coworkers to vote, didn't you? Well, hey, that's not fraud. That's P- that's you going out. Jeff, no one stopped you from doing the same thing. And for you to lose in a Mount Rushmore of your own countrymen is a little disappointing. So, yeah, Nikhil, uh, <laughs> Nikhil did win that and went on in the finals to face me. And the results are in, apparently... Uh, in a 70 to 30 percent vote, I know the greatest Canadians with the uh, Alex Trebek. I think that really carried the vote. Seth Rogen, James Cameron, and Jonathan Taves. Now, Brian and I did have a Mount Rushmore last week. That will be posted this week. We we're waiting for the results of this past result to come in. And this week, we don't have a Mount Rushmore because I will not be doing that uh, against myself. But I just wanted to share the results of Mount Rushmore from last week. So, again, uh, I ended up knocking off Nikhil, and I'm the champion of Canadians, I suppose. So next time we do a group um, Mount Rushmore, uh, I get to pick the order. Uh, unless we want to do the randomizer, I guess we can always ask the group on that one. Uh, with that said, let's go over some of the other results here from the previous nonce of the week. Uh, election. I was about to say elections. Um, kind of going over who was the previous nonce. What do we have here? Did that not did that not go up? Let's see. Yep. So the previous nonce is not known because the intern forgot to post the poll. So here's what we'll do. We'll get over that nonce uh, coming up, and then in three days' time, we'll post this week's nonce. So wow, the intern, you are one step. Listen, kid. Listen, kid. You are one step away from being fired. So, okay, hear me out. So to, uh, today or tomorrow, well, most of you listening today, you will see the poll for the Mount Rushmore Super Bowl moments that were between Brian and myself. And you could vote on last week's nonce of the week. Now, this week I will uh, announce a few more candidates, and that poll will go up in two or three days, probably on we're looking over the weekend uh, to see who wins this week's nonce of the week. So it looks like the intern had left one tweet in the drafts, Forgotten to tweet it out, and here we sit. Uh, the listeners also did have a vote on who would win in a fight between Jurgen Klopp and Sean Dyche. 63% picked Jurgen Klopp. Uh, so that was the result of that kind of discussion we had. Now, on to this week's Nonce of the Week. You are a nonce, You're a nonce, mate. And we have four good candidates, uh, as usual. 
uh, and that tends to happen when we haven't kind of done this for a minute. One of them is just general, a general shout at Ajax. Ajax has had a few issues lately, uh, a, a series, a quartet, I'd say, of events, uh, and I'll name them all right here. Ajax attacker Quincy Promise was arrested in a stabbing incident, alleged stabbing incident, I say, so they're in some trouble there. Uh, the Nuri family, as you remember the issue, the incident with him um, uh, passing out, and and now he's um, not in the best best state. Uh, the Nuri family will take Ajax before an arbitration court, so they haven't been able to sort that out. Now it gets even crazier with the on-field stuff. Their goalkeeper recently, Onana, was given a one-year doping ban after failing out of competition testing. A goalie failing a test. I want to give a shout out to Steve for sending that one over. And just to top it off. Ajax just got Seb Aller, as we all know, from West Ham. He scored a goal in his debut there. He's their record signing, and they've accidentally left him out of their Europa League squad. So whoever did that, just like our intern here, is getting fired. So Ajax is up there. I want to give a um, a honorable mention, and Jeff, I'll give you credit for sending this. This, this was shown around, and um, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to post this. An honorable mention to another side, uh, Marseille. Their fans tr- uh, stormed their training ground after uh, getting frustrated at the club's president in recent results and just lit everything on fire. Absolutely, I think, nonce-like. It's good to protest your team, but to do this kind of stuff is beyond ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Ajax, I, I think maybe their series of mistakes is worse. Again, Marseille is just an honorable mention. Now, if you want to write them in as a vote after hearing about this, uh, you can do that, but they're, again, not going to be up there because here are your other ones. We have the Washington Post, um, which, you know, well-known newspaper worldwide. Uh, they, you know, RIP another legendary football coach, Marty Schottenheimer, uh, passed away earlier this week. Uh, but the Washington Post put up a headline that said, Marty Schottenheimer, NFL coach whose team's wilted in the postseason, dies at 77. I mean, the dude passed away. <laughs> What are you doing writing that headline? Like, what good comes out of that? You can't just write legendary coach. I mean, he was such a great coach with many teams, and that's the headline you want to come up with. That, that to me, smells like someone that lost a big bet uh, betting on Marty Schottenheimer's team and just wants to take one last shot. So shame on the Washington Post. And I would have picked the author, but but the Washington Post editor let it go through. through. So that's, that's a whole team thing. That's really shitty. Uh, then one that's beyond baffling that I am shocked hasn't gotten more tread or more news is Patrick Marsh Middle School. Um, Patrick Marsh Middle School is in Wisconsin, uh, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, for those of you familiar with the area. Uh, the teachers at this middle school have been placed on administrative leave after an unapproved lesson uh, has upset families. Now, what was that lesson? Well, sixth graders, no, sixth graders at Patrick Marsh Middle School in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, received an assignment about ancient Mesopotamia that asked a question about how a slave should be treated, the school's principal says in a letter to the students. And this is exactly what the assignment read. A slave stands before you. This slave has disrespected his master by telling him, you are not my master. How will you punish this slave? And that was that was the assignment. And... You know, the punishment, according to Hammurabi's code, was put to death. That's what the assignment read. Um, The question was related to the Code of Hammurabi, the code of law that set punishments and fines in the ancient regions of Mesopotamia. Sun Prairie has apologized in a letter sent to all families, but ah, just that's nonce-like behavior. 
You can't do that. You know, come on. What you, you know? What are you doing? You know. I would say you could write about what's happened then, but why are we allowing these students to put themselves in the mindset that that's a position they would be in? You see what I'm saying? Again, it's okay to revisit history and talk about it and write about it, but why would you tell someone, hey, pretend you are this? You give a sixth grader the idea that they can be that, and they might become that. I mean, that's just unreal to me. So stupidity from Patrick Marsh Middle School. I mean, I can't expect any different from our stupid North neighbors in Wisconsin. Uh, let's go now to finally Hector Cipriano Paredes Robles. Uh, so <laughs> we go to one that's a little funnier. So we get a little more of a laugh out of this. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Trying, oh, Peru. We're in Peru. I was going to say, what country are we in? A lawyer Hector Cipriano Paredes Robles faces being disbarred for life as a lawyer after he was seen having sex during a court hearing that was being held on Zoom. He had been supposed to take part in the hearing in the central Peruvian region of Junin. The case involved a local criminal gang, Los Z de Chachamayo. Uh, in the middle of the proceedings, the lawyer, apparently unaware that his camera was on, shout out Zoom, could be seen stripping off and then having sex with an unidentified woman believed to have been his client, who allegedly was connected to the gang. Uh, the court assistant repeatedly tried to warn the lawyer that his antics were clearly visible on the public feed, and this was all to no avail. So he did nonce about. She was of age, I will say. So a more funny, I think, candidate there. So those are our four candidates. Again, we have Ajax for their just series of events culminating with Seb Aller not being registered for Europa League. The Washington Post for taking a shot at a guy that's dead, saying that his team's wilted in the postseason in a sign of disrespect. Patrick Marsh Middle School for assigning uh, sixth graders as slave owners. And Hector Cipriano Paredes Robles for having sex with his client on Zoom during a court hearing, not knowing it was being broadcast. So those are them. Uh, you have that honorable mention of Marseille. Go ahead and send your votes in in three days. That will be posted Um in a bit, I don't want to confuse everyone on Nas of the Week. Uh, enter. Set your damn calendar. All right, so we'll get those. We'll make sure that those two, the Mount Rushmore and the Nas of the Week, get out. Uh, actually, you know what? We'll probably release those at the same time. We'll let those get out later in the week uh, before we have our next episode. Okay, well, we've come to that time of the show. Uh, predictions, week 24. It's just me. Again, everyone else, send your predictions into at the footy corner too. Uh, and we'll just roll from there. So Leicester and Liverpool face off in the early morning game Saturday. I got Leicester 1, Liverpool 2, Mohamed Salah. Continuing on Saturday's game, Palace hosting Burnley. I got uh, Palace 1, Burnley 0. My boy Abareche Eze uh, will get a goal there as Crystal Palace has to learn to become less dependent on Wilfried Zaha. Man City hosting Tottenham in what I'm assuming a lot of people will watch, but I think they'll be disappointed by the quality of that match. Expect a complete um, like barrage for Man City, and I don't think Tottenham will be able to get that counterattack going against one of the best defenses in the Premier League. I think there will be a different story from when they first met earlier in the season when Tottenham did win 2-0. I think Man City wins this 3-0. Gabriel Jesus will get the goal here. Brighton against Aston Villa in the late game on Saturday. I got Brighton 1, Villa 2. Ollie Watkins has been hot. He scored against Arsenal. I think he'll carry that into his next game. We go to Sunday's game, Southampton Wolves early morning. Don't wake up for it. 1-1, I say. Danny Ings for Southampton. 
West Brom and Manchester United. I got West Brom 1, United 3. I think Bruno will get a pen, as usual. Arsenal-Leeds should be a fun one. Don't be fooled by Arsenal's results of late. They have been playing very well as a team. I'd assume you'll see Karen Tierney back for this match. Uh, Burn Leno is still suspended, but Matt Ryan should be able to hold the, hold the fort pretty decently. Again, that's a team that if you watch them, when Thomas Partey's in the midfield, they look really good. They're fun to watch again. Um, Leeds has been fun to watch again. Unfortunately, Arsenal gets Leeds when Leeds is in their greatest form. But, of course, I'm the homer, and I'll pick Arsenal 2 Leeds 1. Alexandre Lacazette with the goal there. Everton-Fulham. I think Everton's been really good of late. I think they carry it. 2-0 Everton. Richarlison, the goal there. West Ham and Sheffield on Monday. We got a couple Monday night football games. Uh, Monday afternoon for us in the U.S. West Ham 2, Sheffield 0. I got Lingard, Jesse Lingard, who scored. I forgot to mention that earlier. Scoring two goals in his West Ham debut. My gosh, that'll be interesting if he keeps it going and United just end up selling him to West Ham. Chelsea, Newcastle. I got Chelsea 2, Newcastle 1. Olivier Giroud over there with the goal. Then we got a couple makeup games. Don't forget about those on Wednesday. Burnley and Fulham. Not sure many will be watching that. That'll be the earlier game. I got Burnley 1, Fulham 0. Ashley Barnes is my goal scorer because I, I think Chris Wood is hurt, and I don't know anyone else that can score there. And finally, Everton and Man City, the primetime game on Wednesday. 3 Eastern, 2 Central. Um, and uh, 12 for Nikhil out there in the West Coast. I got Everton 1, Man City 2. Ilke Gundogan is going to keep it rolling there. And finally, let's now go to the gambling corner. And, um, you know, things hadn't been going too well lately. And I know I just realized now I didn't share the results of the predictions. Those will be up at the footy corner too uh, within, I'd say, by Friday here. The intern who's been slacking. I've given the intern a lot of work, to be fair, because I've had a lot on my plate. So the intern's been doing a lot. Um, those scores will be up, uh, I assume, either later tonight or tomorrow. So be on the lookout for those scores, both in the predictions and the gambling corner. I won't really announce kind of what's gone on there. We had an interesting week. It's been it's been tough. It's been tough sledding this season because the games have been so unpredictable. But I was able to pick out a few games here that I think with my betting strategy, I will be back in the game. I haven't gambled on Premier League, even in the gambling corner, oh, man, in like six weeks. And I haven't done it in real life, period, because it's just wild. It's a wild season. But this week, I think I have a foolproof method of holding on to my lead. Uh, I'm going to go 8 bucks on Everton on Monday. No. It's on Everton plays on Sunday. I've got 8 bucks of my 10 on Everton to win against Fulham at home against Fulham and they're minus 115 only. So I'm putting 8 bucks to win 696 on Everton and then I threw a little nice uh, $2 on a parlay that Probably has less of a chance of hitting, but I got West Ham at minus 143. It's it's what I call my Monday night parlay. Uh, West Ham over Sheffield at minus 143. Chelsea over Newcastle at minus 400. Both games again on Monday. If you parlay them, it's plus 113. I've got $2 to win $2.25. So we'll see how that turns out. We'll see how the gambling corner turns out. And hopefully next week uh, I will have a host for you. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this and we, we were able to talk about some interesting points, we being, I guess, myself. If you have any comments, please mention it at the Footy Corner 2. Next week we will have a co-host back again. I will not announce who it is because it could be 
any of four people at the moment. So we're, we're working on that. Um, and if not, hopefully you enjoyed this. And, and if we do have some solo shows in the future, it won't turn you away. Again, I know it could have been a slower start, but you, you do sometimes hear my passion. And I think that in some episodes, as, as a host, I get caught up in asking questions and don't give my opinions as we try to kind of roll through the content. Uh, with that said, you know, we got to keep on doing it. This guy, I've become a little less mad at him over time. Time heals wounds. Uh, so best of luck in, in this uh, season. And uh, I want to give a hello to Unai Emery. Good evening, Alexa. Please to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening, 